The Water Values Podcast is sponsored by the following market-leading companies and organizations. By Black & Veatch, building a world of difference. By Ziptility, the only app utility crews need to find, fix, and manage infrastructure assets from the field. By Intera, geoscience and engineering solutions. By Xylem, let's solve water. And by the American Water Works Association, dedicated to the world's most important resource. This is session 174. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGimsey. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my daughter Sarah said, my name is Dave McGimsey and thank you so much for joining me and hope this finds you and your family safe and healthy as we continue to get deeper and deeper into the coronavirus pandemic. Well, today, Richard Rasgatis joins us to discuss flow water and how he and his company are on a mission to drive consumers back to the tap and out of microplastics in our drinking water. Uh, It is a terrific interview that I'm sure you're going to enjoy, so stay tuned, because first we have a little housekeeping, as normal. Uh, First off, a hearty thank you to our sponsors. Again, those sponsors are Black & Veatch, Ziptility, Intera, Xylem, and the American Water Works Association. And I'd like you to do me a favor, if you don't mind. Please, if you work with or for any of these great sponsors, please let your contact or your boss or whoever you know at that organization, uh, just thank them for their sponsorship of the podcast. It's a a little favor you can do for me. I really appreciate it. It just helps... uh, It helps them understand the importance and the reach of the podcast, and uh, I I would greatly appreciate it. Um, And as long as you're letting the sponsors know that you appreciate their support of the water industry education and thought leadership we're providing here at the podcast, why not leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, or whatever other podcast directory you listen on, like CastBox. That'd be greatly appreciated, and also it it helps others find out about the podcast. And along that vein, I've been a little derelict in reading the reviews of the podcast. So I'll try to pick that back up. Uh, So we'll start with a couple that happened back in June. Uh, First is Ron eight S you gave a five-star review on Apple podcast again, back in June and Ron eight S writes. Excellent. This is a great show. Appreciate the spread of topics, range of experts and deep coverage of water issues. The show provides fresh perspectives and offers a lot of value and learning. Thanks a lot and keep it coming. Well, thank you, Ron Ades. Really appreciate the five-star review and a great, great uh, review you wrote. Thank you again. Really appreciate it. And also thanks to Rajiv Batish in India, who gave the podcast a five-star review, five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, India version. And he also did this back in June. Uh, titling his review, Excellent Podcast for Water Utility Professionals. And he wrote in his review, Great podcast, David. I have been listening for for the last few months and really enjoy it. The experts you are bringing and the knowledge they share is awesome. Thanks for hosting Rajiv Batish, Public Health Engineering Department, Haryana, India. Well, Rajiv, thank you so much for leaving a great review and a five-star rating. Really appreciate you listening to the podcast. Thank you so much. You've really... Uh, helped folks find out about it and given them a, a, a perspective on why you enjoy it. Uh, so I am very, thank you again to Ron Ades and Rajiv Batish. So again, so grateful and glad that you rated the podcast five stars and left such nice reviews. 
Now it's on to our feature interview with Rich Rasgatis. So let's get that water flowing. Well, Rich, welcome to the Water Values Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Dave. Thank you. And thanks for having me on the podcast. Oh, anytime. You know, I, it was we had a great pre-recording discussion, uh, and it seems like we almost lived parallel lives for a little while, both going to small colleges in Indiana and spending time in Seattle, Denver, all over the place. So it's uh, it's kind of interesting to to see how small the world is. It is a small world. And it's <laughs> nice to be talking on the phone uh, with a fellow Hoosier. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and we're, we're we both spent a lot of our uh, adolescence in Ohio, which uh, again another another uh, interesting parallel. Um, hey, we're going to talk today about kind of water quality uh, issues and 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 uh, with in particular kind of the microplastics element of that. But uh, for starters, um, could you tell us a little about your background and how you kind of came to the water sector, how you got interested in water? Uh, sure. I, um, as, as you mentioned, I grew up in Ohio, went to school in Indiana. And when I was in Indiana, I wanted to get to either New York or San Francisco and kind of get into uh, a world of business in those environments. And I started out my career at Fortune 500 companies. I uh, worked at Johnson & Johnson and then later Eli Lilly, which is, of course, headquartered in Indianapolis and moved back to Indianapolis at one point to go work in HQ. And uh, kind of one of the, the – it, it was a zigzag to get to where I am today, which I think, you know, anyone that's, you know, been in business or probably, frankly, just life in general over a period of 10 or 20 years will will say almost all of life is a zigzag. So I, I – I didn't quite have a linear path to get into water and sustainability, but one of the things that really started it was working in the pharmaceutical and early stage biotech companies uh, early in my career and, and getting a little bit of fatigue around just treatment modalities and everything, <clears throat> every solution being a prescription. And uh, I started to kind of gradually make my career towards things that interested me, which were generally speaking, and again, with some zigzags along the way, generally speaking around prevention or wellness uh, in health and kind of getting at the front end of the curve as opposed to getting at the back end of the curve. So for the most part, in summary, most of my background over the last 15 years has been either uh, running tech companies, e-com or technology companies, or running uh, consumer packaged goods companies. And what got me specifically into water is, A, it's kind of a mashup in some ways between consumer packaged goods and kind of prevention and wellness and, and, and uh, technology, uh, particularly as it relates to this hardware that we're developing and putting into the market. Uh, but the second was that, you know, I, I have two daughters uh, named Royce and Zoe. They're 18 and 16 years old. And when I co-founded the company, they were right around 10 and 11, uh, 9 and 10. And one of the things that really struck me is that, you know, you go to these soccer games or soccer practices, and, you know, a lot of, a lot of these parents are bringing soda and chips and candy bars and, you know, kind of just feeding our kids and programming them at a very early stage with really bad habits. And as someone that was pretty athletic through college and then became pretty unathletic and pretty out of shape in my early 30s and and put on probably 80 pounds more than what I weigh today. So I'm about 200 or 190 pounds today. And I, I, I got to be you know, pretty heavy at a certain point. A lot of that was driven by some foundational 
terrible habits that I just never broke. And, uh, you know, I was able to compensate for them when I was working out a lot and playing football in college. And then when I got out, you know, suddenly it kind of caught up to me. And, you know, when I got into my mid thirties, 35, 37, I kind of had a change of mindset around that stuff and change in diet and exercise and behaviors. And when I saw kind of what was happening programmatically to my kids, and in fact, even what I was doing to some degree, um, but, but largely kind of society and how big beverage companies market the kids and program kids and get them addicted to, to, to sugary, carbonated, caffeinated sodas, I became really passionate about, you know, doing something different. And this, you know, water ended up being an intersection around, number one, a big idea that no one had done before, which is how do we drive consumers back to the tap with kind of the world's first brand of water that takes tap water and turns it into something that tastes better than their favorite bottled water. So there was a big business challenge behind it. That was interesting. Uh, number two, like this wellness component of it, which is 80% of Americans are chronically dehydrated and we're using a lot of soda uh, to kind of compensate for or replace water at very early ages in programming kids the wrong way. And then the third was a sustainability piece, which is, you know, this plastic issue is not going away. It's getting progressively worse. You know, we didn't have plastics 40, 50 years ago that are in the environment. Today, average American is drinking two credit cards, drinking or eating two credit cards worth of plastic every month. And uh, that's a big issue. You know, it's a big issue environmentally. It's a big issue in terms of human health. And uh, this is the water, kind of to conclude it, water and float water ended up being an intersection of those three things where, you know, I thought we could do well while doing good. And it's something that, you know, obviously I'm really passionate about. Yeah, yeah, clearly. And um, so you, you kind of mentioned it at the tail end there. Your company is called Flow Water. Do you want to tell us kind of what Flow Water is, what it does? Sure. Um, and kind of said, said simply, you know, what, what flow water is, it, 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 actually, I think what I would be a better thing to do is to talk about our vision and our mission first, and then specifically share a few components about the product. But yeah, uh, the mission of flow water is to put an absolute end to single use plastic water bottles and ultimately anything that is a single use package whatsoever that's used for transporting and delivering and the consumption of water. The vision of the company ends up being a bit more global than that, which is to radically change the way that consumers view, drink, and consume water. And uh, the overarching part of that is that we want to be able to deliver the world's best tasting drinking water to consumers wherever they work, rest, and play. And so, you know, what that means from a flow water perspective is what we're doing is we're building out a platform of products for businesses as well as for consumers in the household. So it's a B2B and also a B2C play where ultimately what we want to do is kind of own the last mile, so to speak. But in this case, it's really kind of the last three, four, five, six feet of water lines so that wherever a water line is coming out, and that could be any city in the U.S. and it could be any kind of building and ultimately someday worldwide, where what we do is we take whatever water is coming out of there. And in some cases, it could be really good tap water that we're making it taste great. In other cases, it could be undrinkable water, uh, not even something that's potable, perhaps, and turning it into something that's also great tasting, great drinking water. And we do that through a flow water device. And so, you know, what flow water is, is a piece of hardware that connects onto a water line that takes that water and it runs it through a powerful and proprietary purification process 
that removes contaminants, introduces or reintroduces essential minerals for hydration and taste back into that water, and then runs it through a finishing filter that makes it taste great. So today that is a product called Flow Water Refill Station. Uh, at some point over the next, you know, 24 months, and that even starts as soon as like two, three months from now, we're gonna be introducing additional products where you can have, you know, flow water on your faucet, uh, flow water in a multi-use bottle that comes pre-filled and you refill it at a flow water refill station, flow water for your countertop. Um, so today, flow water is a refill station, but really what flow water is is the mission to eliminate single-use plastic water bottles and to ultimately democratize water because, you know, I have an inherent belief that everyone has and deserves access to clean, great-tasting drinking water that they can trust. Uh, and that, that's really what we're after. All right. So, so Rich, um, in, in doing this, it almost sounds like what you're proposing is kind of a hybrid uh, or a modified um, distributed water program. Or does that kind of uh, jive with, with, with what your uh, goal is or understanding is? And it, and it is. I mean, I, a big part of a big focus of our company is on water distribution so that, I mean, it kind of effectively what a flow water refill station and flow water hardware is, is like a little mini bottling plant that, you know, consumers ultimately and businesses should be able to have, you know, wherever a water line is. And so what we're really trying to do, it's a little bit like the grid, which, you know, went from the macro to the micro uh, for, for electricity. Uh, what we're really trying to do is is decentralize it, as you've stated. Yeah, and, and um, I and this is just kind of coming to me as we're as we're talking. But you know, there's a lot of concern over lead in in drinking water distribution systems, and some of that lead is in the actual fixtures in the house, which makes it hard for you know the for utilities to change it out, you know, and get. And so is th this sounds like it could be an alternative to actually going in and replacing all those those lead service lines and lead fixtures and things like that. I mean, is, is that kind of in the wheelhouse at all? It is. And so if you uh, I'll just give you a reference point and then I'll actually expand a little bit more on your, your comment, your question there. Um, about three years ago, we donated about sixty thousand dollars worth of flow water refill stations to the city of Flint, Michigan. Uh, to help eliminate lead uh, as part of the, the drinking water that was there in certain locations and certain markets um, uh, with certain constituents. And we did as much as we could possibly do being a small company in terms of a, a, a donation. But we were sending that water out to third-party labs and the incoming tap water in Flint, and this is even after like a year after um, everything surfaced as a problem. We were seeing lead levels that were over 30 times the EPA allowable limit for lead in drinking water uh, prior to, that was like the water coming into a flow water refill station. And then coming out of the flow water refill station, the testing showed you know zero detectable levels of lead. And so these are, these are really powerful, incredibly powerful commercial grade uh, pieces of technology that eliminate a lot of pharmaceuticals, herbicides, pesticides, but also heavy metals. And 
Heavy metals are a pretty significant issue. I mean, this is, you know, one of the biggest challenges that I think is facing utility companies today is like two things. One is we have aging infrastructure, which would take many, many decades and trillions of years, uh, excuse me, many, many decades and trillions of dollars to be able to kind of reestablish. And, you know, we have a massive grid. And so it doesn't matter, you know, to some degree how clean the um, municipal center and how, how good of a job municipal and utilities do in cleaning up the water if you have kind of a dirty transportation uh, then or, or dirty lines, so to speak, that are leaching lead, uh, it's a problem. And so one of the use cases absolutely is ending up kind of treating the water twice where it's coming out at a point of dispense. And some of the analogies that I use with consumers are, this is, this is in some ways like a kind of simplified analogy is you could be prepping the most amazing organic fresh ingredients in a kitchen for your dinner. Um, you could start with the most amazing kind of fresh organic ingredients grown on volcanic virgin soil, you know, and like, you know, create whatever narrative around that to kind of like create the, the, the illustration. But then if you're using a dirty cutting board or some contaminated knife to prep it, you've just taken like something that's great and contaminated it. And that's part of what is the problem in an aging infrastructure, which is utilities have a very complicated job, I think, and they do an amazing job, all things considered. One of the considerations that's challenging is that the, the distributed supply lines are very dated and they're leaching contaminants and heavy metals in some cases. And the second is upstream. So you have kind of downstream problems. And then there's also upstream challenges, which is, you know, 50 years ago, there were no pharmaceuticals in your drinking water. Today, there are. 50 years ago, there was no Roundup in your drinking water. Today, there is. Um, and that is additional contamination that is far beyond taxing kind of the capabilities of conventional utilities and municipal uh, water treatment uh, facilities. And so those are a couple of things that I think utility companies are dealing with, but also kind of the end consumer is. And, uh, you know, treating that lead at the source to ensure that it is lead free and heavy metal free, I think is a really important growing consideration for, you know, not only Americans, but also people worldwide. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I'm sorry for the little uh, detour on our way to get into what we what we intend to talk about. But but I think the the, the kind of things that you were talking about really uh, uh, took me in that direction. So I appreciate that. It's great to get that information. Um, I, I so getting back to kind of where we were going, I really liked your message earlier about uh, making tap kind of the preferred. Can you talk about kind of the, um, you know, what, what are, what are consumer preferences concerning tap water versus bottled water, things like that? Well, um, I think it's, I, I, uh, find the bottled water problem to be one of kind of an interesting origin and, Maybe I can expand a little bit about that because I think one of the easy questions that people often ask is, hey, if bottled water is so bad, like why don't we just stop drinking it? Or why don't people just stop drinking it? So maybe someone who's not a bottled water drinker and they're drinking out of the tap and they just don't understand like why why won't people just stop doing it? And and the, the problem ends up being uh, one of consumer behavior or trust or preference. And so 
you know, my not making any statement in in like real definite definitive uh, particulars around tap water, though I will talk about some things as relates to heavy metals or pharmaceuticals or herbicides and what have you. But I mean, not even really making a, a position statement around tap water. One of the issues that we have is 70 percent of consumers roughly either don't like or don't trust tap water. So, you know, educating them is one of the things that ends up being really important. But there's certain things that do exist in tap water uh, that consumers resist, and that might be dissolved solids. So in certain parts of uh, the Southwest, you might see TDS levels that are 5, 6, 7, 800 parts per million. Anything over 100 parts per million, you can taste. Uh, anything over 300 parts per million tastes really bad. I mean, you can even taste it when it's, you know, coffee is brewed with TBS water that's got three, four, five hundred parts per million. And so taste is one big issue. Um, and so removing those things from the tap water uh, that either shouldn't be there or in some cases need to be there just to tr safely transport it. Chlorine is another really good example, which is you need to, you need, you know, municipal utility need to be able to put chlorine in the tap water to be able to safely transport it to the source. But once you get it to the source, what you'd really like to do is remove that chlorine before you drink it. Uh, you know, even small trace amounts of chlorine, chronically, systemically over a long period of time, you know, chlorine is a antibacterial and antiviral. And what that does is it also kind of destroys over a long term uh, the microflora of the stomach. So. You know, I think everyone would agree, ideally, you'd like not to have chlorine, for example, in your water because it tastes a little bit funky or it tastes a little bit chemically. In some cases, you notice it more than others. Um, and that's, but, but you also need it to be able to distribute the water. And so that's one of the examples of, of something that a flow water system and other systems are designed to do, which is treat it twice at the consumer household or at the business so that it is uh, free of contaminants so that we can get consumers drinking something that they like uh, and that they trust. And I think this, you know, kind of one of the other analogies that I use, and I, you know, I'm fine to use some complicated analogies, but I always prefer simplified analogies that uh, kind of drive it home from just a consumer perspective. You know, nobody is making or eating Brussels sprouts the way that, you know, our parents made them, like boiled and thrown in a bowl, like that, 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 that almost induces a, a gag reflex for many people, but suddenly, you get, you know, some bougie chefs to put together and fry it and put bacon on it and throw balsamic on it. And suddenly it tastes amazing and it's on every menu in America as an appetizer and like it's the new hot vegetable. And, and, and kind of the implication of that is it's very simple. But if we change and drive things to consumer preference, that happens to be good for them, that they prefer, that also happens to be good for the environment everybody wins. Uh, what we do know about consumer behavior is that they're not going to do something just because it checks an environmental box, but they don't prefer it. And this is one of the things that Tesla has done a really good job of is they made a car that has an environmental, uh, obviously an environmental benefit, but it also looks cool. It drives great. It's fast. It's got like panache. It's a great performance car. So consumers prefer it. Plus they get to check kind of also the environmental box and I don't mean to make that sound flippantly like that that's all they're doing but if it was just about the environment but you had to make compromises in the driving performance and how it looked et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, not nearly as many consumers would do it and that's ultimately what we need to do with water is we need to drive consumers back to the tap we need to make it the preferred drink um, and that's 
you know, one of the, the areas that we focus on at Flowwater is we look at outcomes data. I mean, I don't just look at what, like what claims do we make, but we, we do outcomes data testing where uh, we have shown repeatedly that when we install a Flowwater device, uh, we'll see a two to five fold increase of consumer hydration and a 50% reduction of coffee and soda wherever people have access to flow water. And I don't mean that to make it sound like a plug for flow water. I mean, I think ultimately the plug that that stands for is that if you can take tap water and make it better, even, even if it's coming out and it's good, but you can make it better or great, consumers will change behavior. They'll use less plastic, they'll drink more water, and they'll drink less soda. Uh, and all of those are really good things, but you can only do that if you get the consumer excited about it. Yeah, you've kind of alluded to it. How How, how do you get that message across to the consumer? How, how, how do we drive them back to tap? Well, um, I think there's a few things. One is just awareness, right? And so uh, one of the, you know, one of the, the levels of kind of education uh, or awareness that I think is really important is how much plastic we're actually drinking and eating. And so, uh, you know, when I, when I show somebody a bottle of water or uh, a glass of tap water, when they understand that over 90%, this is a study that was done in the last couple of years um, out of SUNY. Was the last couple of years, they did a study and they showed over 90% of both bottled and tap water uh, had, on average, over 300 pieces of microplastic per liter of water, and that you are drinking that. And, and plastics, by the way, contain around 10,000 known chemicals and byproducts that are used to create plastics. And by the way, also, there's 6,000 in, in cigarettes. So I'm not trying to say plastics are as bad as cigarettes, but I am saying 10,000 known chemicals is not a good thing, and that's not something that we want to be chronically eating and drinking and consuming. When, when I tell a consumer, you're drinking two credit cards worth of plastic, every month, uh, that changes behavior. I mean, it's one thing when it ends up in the environment and they see an article and, you know, they see fish that or whales or turtles that have ingested plastic and that, that creates uh, a, a visceral response, which is a good thing because that's the beginning of behavioral change. But, but when consumers start to see that it's actually happening to them and they're ingesting it, and this is what they're doing with their own bodies and their kids uh, and their family, and there are negative effects of that, it starts to cause people to think twice about it. And so one of the things that we need to do is we need to filter out. So ironically, now we're literally now drinking our bottled water. Like in drinking bottled water, we're literally drinking the plastic that is the byproduct of this bottled water because plastics don't biodegrade, they photodegrade. One piece turns into two, four, eight, 16, until it's microscopic and we're literally drinking and eating it. And so um, I think education is certainly one tied to giving a better product, you know, and I think ultimately uh, what I like about our mission, in fact, I'll give you an example of what, what we don't do when we deploy flow water refill stations in hotels, schools, corporations, gyms, retailers. Sometimes I'll have someone say to me early on, I would have someone say to me, hey, we want to we get rid of bottled water and we're going to put a ban on it and put flow water units in our office. And, and I would really encourage them Initially, I said, hey, that's a great cause. We want to drive that same thing. But rather than banning bottled water in your office right away, why don't you just put the flow water refill station in 
and see what happens to bottled water consumption after. Because the second you tell somebody they can't do something and you force another change on them, uh, you know, there's naturally, it's just human behavior. There's some, there's just some resistance to it. They already don't like, you know, people don't like being told kind of what they can and can't do. Um, and so I've always kind of advocated, and we've always advocated, hey, put the, put the product in there and let's see what consumers do. And then you can start to make some uh, forced changes. And what we typically see is an 80 to 90% reduction voluntarily because the consumer prefers it. And so this kind of goes to the second point, like beyond education and awareness, if we're just dropping in products that end up causing consumers to like it more because maybe they like like the design of it, they like the taste of it, they trust it, uh, there's some aesthetics to it, whatever that kind of benefit or that aesthetic connection is for them. If we can get them to do more of it, that's really the end goal. Um, and, and how we go about doing it kind of just depends on the, the consumer and the nature of the consumer. But I think it ends up being having a great user experience and delivering a great product that consumers love, but you know, ideally some education and awareness around it as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're you're right. the The genesis of the problem is water is one of its properties, right? It's the ultimate solvent, and uh, that's how all the stuff gets in. and And I think you're also dead on that you cannot legislate behavior. Uh, we've seen that with some of the protests about the stay at home orders, things like that. Um, and so, I, I like your kind of. Uh, it's really a market based solution. Um, which I think is uh, is is a is a good way to go about uh, achieving the desired result. So so Rich, you've been great today. Could you could you tell us what your leave behind message is, or what you want people to take away from this interview? I think I'd summarize it by a few things. One is that we have a major issue with plastics that in using single-use plastics and single-use packaging, we are creating a logarithmic problem five, 10, 15 years from now, and we're already starting to see that today. And you're drinking literally the plastic in your water, and that's a result of us contaminating the environment with plastics, and, and we really need to work. It's meaningful to put an end to single-use plastic and waste. Number two, is that each individual can make a major difference. And this goes for any cause in America and worldwide, is that you know, we need to just be intentional about certain things that are passion we're passionate about that are meaningful and make the change and make the request for the change. Because when you are going into a hotel, uh, of which at the very specific moment, not many people are doing, but you know, we'll get back to that and for many years, uh, you know, a massive boom over the last 15 years in particular in travel. When you go into a hotel and you refuse to step into a hotel room or you refuse to drink the single-use package products, that feedback makes its way up the executive ranks of hospitality. And I know because I've talked to executives in the hospitality where they're starting to hear feedback. And the thing that is going to change things is not legislation, but it is consumer behavior and what consumers demand. And, uh, you know, that goes for any action that is underway in America right now. And I think that's a really important message, which is there is a tremendous amount of power that we have as consumers. And that is driven by the decisions that we make and what we advocate for and where we spend our money and where we don't spend our money. And then the third one is, uh, chances are you're incredibly dehydrated. And so, I, I mean, I certainly would advocate for flow water. I mean, people that 
that, that drink flow water notice a marked improvement in a lot of different functions uh, over a period of 30, 69 days. But I would just advocate for water in general, which is, you know, if you want to have uh, kind of a facelift in a bottle, and I mean, I don't, I don't mean that to sound pejorative, but I mean, truly, and I'm not saying that facetiously at all, if you're 80%, 80% of Americans are chronically dehydrated, one of the best things that you can do for your skin in the immune system is just drink a lot more water. And it's very tempting at a time where, you know, there's a lot of kind of immediate comfort in reaching for something that's carbonated, sugary, caffeinated. Uh, but, you know, it's a real rewarding thing to be able to properly hydrate your body because that changes all other systems and functions and how they work together. And so that's not a, at all a flow water specific message. I mean, this is just a huge advocacy for drinking more water. And, you know, pe many people kind of innately treat their plants better than they treat their bodies with water. And if we could, <laughs> if we could treat our bodies the same way that we're treating our plants, uh, a lot of, you know, small changes lead up to big improvements in health and lifestyle. Yeah, Rich, uh, you, you said it so eloquently. I really appreciate you coming on today and uh, sharing your message. Um, for those folks who want to find out more about you, more about Flow Water, where can they go to get that information? On social, personally, I'm at Rich Rasgatis. And on social, from a company perspective, we are at Drink Flow Water. And that's also the URL as well, drinkflowwater.com. All right. And the, uh, the Flow Water is F-L-O-W-A-T-E-R, right? Yes. All right. Terrific. Uh, Rich, again, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. And uh, stay hydrated. We'll talk to you soon. Dave, thanks so much. Appreciate being on the show. You bet. We'll talk to you. Bye. What a terrific interview by Rich. I mean, I really appreciated him coming on. I thought a statement of owning the last mile or really, as, as he kind of put it, uh, the last three to six feet of pipe was pretty interesting. And of course, I love his overall message and mission about driving consumers back to the tap for their drinking water. Well, let me know what you liked about the podcast, if you don't mind. You can tweet about the podcast using the hashtag water values. You can tweet at me using my handle at DTM1993. And you can email me at david.mcgimsey at dentons.com. You can also sign up for the newsletter by Googling the Water Values podcast and going to the Bluefield Research uh, site where the, pod, the, the show notes are hosted. Uh, there's a little sign up there. And... You know, you just get an email twice, essentially twice a month, uh, the days that the podcast releases. Uh, so thank you again for tuning in and a huge thank you again to our terrific sponsors. Again, those sponsors of the Water Values podcast include Black & Veatch, Ziptility, Intera, Xylem, and the American Water Works Association. Thank you so much to those great sponsors. Well, in closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values Podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. listening to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me.
Well, thank you for tuning in to the disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Indiana and Colorado, and nothing in this podcast should be taken as providing legal advice or as establishing an attorney-client relationship with you or with anyone else. Additionally, nothing in this podcast should be considered a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer that finds water issues interesting and that believes greater public education is needed about water issues. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water.